0: the wake up for me was this isn't working this isn't it like this can't be it it can't be that for me to change and for me to grow and for me to find happiness and fulfillment in life that i have to lose my family in the process because that's where it was going mm-hmm. and i was like i refuse to have that happen like i'm not gonna i'm not just gonna see my kids every second week because that's the only option it's like that's never the only option
1: going to jump right into it why do so many guys do you think um in this day and age why do so many guys um need extra guidance or or get distracted whenever they're trying to lead their families or chase goals like why do you think so many guys get distracted and jump off the track coming in hot yep
0: that's a good question um i'm a firm believer of there's, there's nuances to everything. And I think that everyone's got their own unique story, but their own unique story is built, is built off of a lifetime of experience, societal conditioning, um, their own experiences within their own family. Um, I think technology plays a massive part in it these days, as well as the, I don't know, I guess the, the dwindling industrial revolution and the lingering effects we have of that in schooling systems, in workplaces, et cetera. I think there's a lot of pressure societally to have everything right, to have everything right for guys to always be the go-to man, to know the answers, to have um, the responsibility and the depth of understanding of that responsibility just ingrained into them naturally. And when we don't have that, we get scared and it's hard to go and ask for help it's hard to go and lean on your mates when everyone else appears to be doing really well. And you're sitting there going, well, why, why don't I feel like I'm doing that? Well, why are things not working out that well for me? It's hard to take that first step and know where to go and ask because anywhere that you go, you're going to be met with those feelings of, Oh, well it's me. It's I'm failing. No one else is failing. But the reality is in secret, lots of us are failing. Lots of us are making mistakes and lots of us are directionless and don't know which, which way we should be going and where our attention should be put to raise our families up to those next levels.
1: Absolutely. Well, you said a lot of great stuff in there. I got to dissect. Um, let me go back to what you said about the Industrial Revolution. Can you explain on that? You said something about the Industrial Revolution's remnants. Can you can you expl- expand on that a little bit?
0: So. I come from a union industry. I'm an electrician by trade um, in heavy oil and gas. So throughout my time spent in, during my apprenticeship and as a tradesman, you hear lots and lots about the history of the unions and the battles that they've had with these big industrial corporations. Um, and you see how much that changes over time. So it started with, all right, every man has this like really intense manual job. And at the start before the Industrial Revolution, so I don't know who where it sort of started, but I think like around the time I was like oh, I was Henry Ford and stuff, when they were bringing in mass production of something, mm-hmm. it didn't make sense for every person to know every aspect of every job. So what they did is they broke that down into steps and they broke it down so that each, each person has one job. So it's like you're a master of this one step and you don't need to know anything else. And that mindset was brought through schooling systems as well. So it was always like, okay, everyone needs to know this one thing. And it dulled down a lot of, I guess, ingenuity uh, for a lot of people. And it it sort of removes a lot of people's freedom of choice on what they get to learn, what they get to experience in life. And then, you know, the the schooling systems, the governments and stuff say, okay, well, everyone has to attend school. Everyone has to attend this type of school. Mm -hmm. Obviously uh, apart from private institutions, it was heavily regulated by certain body corporations or by certain government. Um, what, I don't know how it's, what it works for you guys over there. Um, like certain parties, we have parties over here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they call them parties over there in America. You, you mean know, like political parties? Yeah. Political parties. Yeah. like Democrats, Republicans, we've, we have here predominantly labor and liberal, mm-hmm. um, but I guess it's the same story everywhere you look, right? That's whatever happens in America happens here. Whatever happens here ultimately tends to happen in America mm. you know, as far as like political landscape goes because of our long history together. Um, but that mindset had to breed. So when I say that mindset, I mean the back to the, um, the one thing and knowing one thing well and trying to make as much attention focused on this one thing as you could led into things around uh control so you need to control what people digest what they ingest because you don't want them to necessarily i'm sort of getting a big conspiracy theorist here but go don't for want it people to be too free willed when you need people in doing a certain job to make more money for a business absolutely right? everyone's running around and everyone understands the fact of like i can make money doing something that i love and i could probably make decent money doing something that i love then who's going to work in the factories who's going to you know clean the floors and sweep floors and who's going to operate and repair the machinery and and do all these things that are making the rich infinitely richer um so that to me has a lot of weight on I guess it's almost like a generational thing where it's cascaded down through the years. Mm-hmm. So my dad learned things from his dad, who learned things from his dad, and those mindsets tend to carry across generationally. You know, you you become sort of what you're around, and you, most majority of your childhood is you're raised by one or two parents, yep. and it's it only makes sense that their train of thought, their way they think, the way they analyze life, the way they work through their problems. Is going to have an impact on how you do that as, as an adult. Um, and for most of us, you grow up and it's everyone has that blueprint, right? That here's that blueprint for life that you need to do. You need to study hard. You need to get a good job. You need to, you know, find a wife, get married. You need to have a family, get the house, get the cars. That equals happiness, right? Everyone kind of is raised with that similar mindset. When I say everyone, I'm speaking very generally here. Um and when people are raised with that same mindset, then the next generation is going to be raised with a similar mindset unless someone breaks that chain. So I look at it as heavily influenced from the Industrial Revolution because that's sort of when, if my understanding of history is somewhat correct, um that's when wholesale change started to happen in the family unit. So there was a lot of farming and stuff still before that families were still Mm -hmm. together a lot more Then I get uh, with the um, war being the exception. There was a lot of, a lot more time with family spent doing family things and families working through things together, families working through things together with their neighbors. And then all of a sudden there's a demand outside of the family unit. So something had to change. The narrative had to change. So that's where all these things start to change. How people raised, how people think, how people walk their way through life, because there's almost like someone wants a different outcome for you. So how do we drive that outcome instead?
2: That
1: makes a lot of sense because, you know, I haven't thought about that part specifically, but before the factories and like you said, the industrial industrial revolution, most people were doing things on a homestead or at their house. And I guess, yeah, most of the time was spent at home and you are getting all that exposure to your family constantly. And whenever dad had to start going off to work all day, you're really missing a large part of your life. And yeah, you know, I would actually want to study that more now because it, the, the years that that happened, it probably did make a massive influence on the children of that generation and then their children of that, you know, their children. And I guarantee it had a large ripple effect leading up to today. That's really interesting.
0: Mm. yeah absolutely and I'm, I'm curious to see what the next ripple looks like mm-hmm. um, because while it's not so much industrial revolution times now it's definitely technology revolution now mm-hmm. so technology is moving so fast and it's moving so much faster than what anyone could have ever predicted but it's the next generation that are going to be the ones they're the ones that are going to show or they're going to showcase what that new transition looks like in a family or for future families and for future uh workers because they're the ones being raised where their parents are using mobile phones so pre that pre-technology like when when i was when i was growing up you know i remember when we had an old um what was it a microsoft dos pc like the original pcs like that was Mm -hmm. the first computer we had in the house and it was like okay cool i can play like this golf game on it i think from memory as very very loose memories of it but outside of that, it was, okay, we read books together or we listen to music or, you know, we're going to go, I went fishing with my dad a lot um, and things like that. But now it's it's phones, it's social media, it's screen time, it's digest, 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 digest. And it's what are they digesting? And what yeah. are they picking up from their parents just by exposure when their parents are doing the same thing at home?
1: Yeah, that is a big worry of mine. Something that I think dads have to be intentional about Is you know, we're all swept up in this wave together. We're just little fish in this huge tidal wave. And you got to look around you and say, what's happening right now? Like this new piece of technology is coming out next year. Are we just going to buy it, adopt it and and put it into our life and let all these messages come? Or are you going to say, Hey, what was my life like last year? What do I want to keep going on to the next year? And yeah, I mean, whenever your kids have such an easy access to, laptops, iPads, phones, TVs, all these things, at any moment, you know, they could stumble across information that they didn't have access to five, 10 years ago, something completely that you don't agree with in terms of your family doctrine and your values. And it can be a really scary thing, you know, just constantly having to to battle all these outside messages, which is why, you know, you got to be aware of this new stuff. Like, yeah, this new iPad's coming out next year. Do I really want that in my family? You know, is it going to make it easier for my kid to to get this? And I'm not anti-technology at all. I think that, you know, technology can reach tons of people, which is why Yumi can have a podcast across the world. And you know, I but it does bring the the need for men to have more discipline for themselves, like you said, and for their kids because if guys can control their own once with technology, with the phone, then like you said, the kids are watching you, and then you can pass that on. If the kids are watching you all the time, just constantly on your phone at the restaurant, that's one, that's one of my pet peeves. I hate going to the restaurant with my kids and watching. You look over, you see a family of four. And all four of them are on their phones. No one's talking. I'm just like, all right, well, you got a family of robots over there. You don't even have a family. You know, <laughs> you're basically in the metaverse already. You know, you better not yeah. complain about the metaverse because your family's in the metaverse. Yeah. But, but yeah, you got to be on guard all the time. You can't just adopt everything. But if you adopt technology, you got to have some discipline with it. Be like, use it as a tool. Like we're using technology as a tool to spread message, to build businesses, you know, if you just use technology or if you're just used by technology, that's a very different thing.
0: Yeah. There's, there's definitely a big difference between using and consuming, you know, using it. It's, it's a tool. There's purpose. And if there's purpose, that means there's intention. And I think that's one of the important things to bear in mind. Like, okay, well, what's my intent behind using this? And if you don't have that, then you're consuming. It's like, how often, you know, the more and more you consume social media, the more often you find you pull your phone out of your pocket and you're just scrolling. You know, it's it's just so absent-minded, you're just like, Oh, I didn't even realise I had my phone in my hand. And they're almost like micro procrastinations where it's like and this is where the, the phone comes into it as a consuming thing, um, just to your day to day, especially with your family. Like normally if you'd be say cooking dinner, you would have Oh, I've got five minutes. Okay, the 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 steaks cooking. I've got the vegetables cooking. I've got five minutes. The plates are out. Everything's ready to go. And it's almost like, okay, well, what do I need? What do I do to fill this gap now? Oh, I'll get my phone out and I'll just check and see what's going on on social media. And it happens so fast, and you get mm-hmm. you can get so drawn in so fast that next minute the steaks are burning, the vegetables are burning mush. <laughs> And you're like, oh, wow, I've been on here for 20 minutes. And then the come down from that, the technology crash that comes after that, once you put it down, it can take you 10, 15, 20 minutes to sort of get back to where you were mentally before you even took your phone out of your pocket.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, sometimes I got to remind my wife about that. Hey, you're going to make dinner tonight. Put that phone away. (laughs) We don't want that chicken to be dry. You know, (laughs) got to have your eye on it. But, but yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. It's, it's when you pick up your phone, it, you have to think, all right, this is going, you know, it's going to feel good right now, hopefully, but there's going to be a change in my brain afterwards. And, you know, if you're like, if you, if you pick up your phone right as you wake up or right before you go to sleep, you got to be aware of what that's doing to you. You know, right before you go to sleep, it's like, man, I'm probably gonna be dreaming about these things that I'm reading right now. Do I want to do that? Whether you remember your dreams or not, like anything you're putting in your head, as soon as you go to sleep, you're gonna be thinking about it all night. And is that gonna help you, or is that is that gonna be destroying your your subconscious at night? But Yeah. yeah, it's it's so easy when it's right there. It's just like instant gratification. It's like you just hit a button, then boom, you're kind of like it's like you put yourself on standby. That's what I see. Whenever I see, you know, we let our kids watch TV sometimes, um, but or especially the iPad. Like every every kid in the basically in the US has an iPad for school now. I don't know what it's like in Australia, but every single school basically around here they give their kids an iPad. So as soon as they're on their iPad, it's it's like you're just hitting a standby button on a on a phone or a computer. You know, they're just boom, staring at it. It's really scary, and you're just hoping that they're making progress and doing something constructive because otherwise it's, yeah. it's wreaking massive hagg- havoc is that something that's going on in Australia it's we call it a one-to-one program where basically it's a scheme for these technology companies to make tons of money but um, every kid at school around here gets an iPad
0: I'm not sure if it's an iPad or a laptop I know I think around the time I was leaving school it was laptops. Yeah. so this is you know 12 14 years ago mm. uh it was laptops then um our kids don't go to mainstream school we homeschool so mm-hmm. i'm not sure as such whether all kids have to have a ipad i believe they do have to have some kind of a, a way of doing their work yeah uh, on a computer yeah which i mean has that surely long term that's going to diminish things like handwriting skills and stuff so like this i don't know there's there's a lot of i have a lot of concerns about that personally um and that's not like a main reason that we decided to do the homeschooling but Mm -hmm. it's sort of one of those things that weighs in right just technology awareness and being a slave to it versus like we've talked about using it as a tool you know i think there's definitely a place for both i use my laptop for for work all the time you know i'm using google docs i'm using jumping on here and doing podcasts with awesome dudes and stuff like that but there's a there's a purpose behind it all and it's when there's no purpose behind it or when it's when you're doing it because you're forced to do it what kind of negative association do you then have with that particular piece of kit
1: yeah and i think it's kind of like the temptation is so great for a kid and i like we never grew up with that temptation and we're just giving it to them like when i was a kid And then we, I had, I come from a kid, a family of 11 in a two bedroom house and we had one bathroom and we had one TV that didn't have cable. So most of our time was spent outside running around in the woods and the playing release up and down our street, biking everywhere, beating each other up. And, you know, we watched TV, we had like 13 channels and one, like, one show was like what we were looking forward to that day it's like yes saturday morning at 9:30 you get to watch this cartoon and then it was over and then we'd go outside with our kids these days you know they they just have infinite temptation it's just immediate satisfaction and if someone gave that to my family when i was that young i would have done it too you know it's so we can't be like, oh i wouldn't have done it i'm i'm more disciplined than that it's like no i didn't have that opportunity you know it's the same thing like people always bash you know tiger woods for cheating on his wife. And, but I, you know, I've heard other people talk about this too on podcasts. It's like, well, yeah, but when you get off an airplane, you don't have 10 supermodels coming up and you asking to sleep with you. It's like, you don't have that same temptation. It's like, we don't have, we don't have these temptations that are, didn't have these temptations that our kids have now. We don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, it's mm. it's like holding a candy bar out in front of your kid, you know, saying, Hey, look at it, but don't eat it. You know, that's, that's, that's what they're going through anytime they have an ipad or a computer or a tv or phone and we're like hey that's awesome yeah but don't use it right now it's like Ugh. really but i guess you could use it as a lesson to improve yourself your self-discipline for your kids
0: yeah you could the i think the main, make up the, main the one thing that you should do is share what you do so if you're it's going to be a tricky one to sort of dive into i guess but when you use social media just for the sake of social media and you're not connecting with people what are you teaching your kids you're teaching your kids that it's okay to just distract yourself from life and to dive into something that's not necessarily adding any value if you're using it for work or to connect with guys across the world to talk more and learn more about things that interest you like fatherhood or uh, it could be a anything any topic at all like animals or science or um geography then and then you share that with them you're teaching them the power of the tool and you're going to give them that, that association with it and that's what you want them to learn you want them to learn from seeing what you do not from what you're telling them to do it's like how many kids have grown up with parents that drink or smoke and they're like don't drink don't smoke it's like well i know a lot and I know a lot of kids who grew up and ended up drinking and smoking mm-hmm. because they just emulate what they see. So you've got to be mindful with what they see. But if they see it and they don't understand it, then they're going to interpret it their own way. And that's dangerous. Because like it's very, very easy to misinterpret the depth of what one of these can do. Like kid, a kid cannot cannot understand at all the depth of what one of these things can do they can't they can't understand the kinds of things that you can find on there and the kind of information you can expose yourself to and the traps the marketing the advertising all the things that are designed mm-hmm. to keep you on there and to use it more and more and more they can't comprehend that at such a young age and yet so when you just go and hand it to them without talking to them about it and educating them on it and explaining to them how you use it in a smart way well, we're setting them up to fail, really.
1: Do you talk about these things with your kids? Do you explain, you know, why you're using it and what you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, often. So my kids my kids well know that I use my phone a lot for connecting with guys overseas. Um, you know, I'll jump on calls like this, and if they're awake, I'll say, Hey, I'm just gonna go and jump on a call. I'm talking to this person, this is what I'm talking about. Um, and often my kids are naturally curious they'll ask oh why are you talking about that it's like i want to become a better person i want to become a better man i want to know more about um how to lead my family or be more vulnerable or i want to learn more about breath work or etc like the list goes on it's like i want to learn about something um not hey kids i'm just going to go and sit in front of my laptop and watch some youtube videos for an hour (laughs) you know what i mean so that's I explain as much as I can to my kids. There's certain Mm -hmm. things that I will intentionally not talk about, um, mostly just because of age appropriateness. Mm -hmm. There's certain things that you don't talk to a six or an eight-year-old about. Um, But I will initiate enough conversation to establish at least some kind of a baseline, depending on what the topic is. So, like, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm not going to say, oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter you know, it's an adult problem or it's an adult thing. You don't need to, you know, it's not a problem for kids or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's I'll do my best to explain it at their level in language that they're going to understand. And then I can do what I need to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I was going through that I think yesterday because Nathan, my son, he's eight years old. He, he knows what I, do, what I do. He he's been on a couple podcasts with me. He's hilarious. He's just so much fun to, to interview. But in my actually, my six year old daughter said she wants to to do one too. That would well, that's going to be one I just record and see what happens. And maybe I post it, maybe I don't. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he he knows about YouTube and we don't let him have free reign to YouTube because it's too there's too many traps. But if he wants to use YouTube, he has to tell us who he's going to watch beforehand. Like he started watching, um, or he at school he heard about Mr. Beast. So I know Mr. Beast, he's like, you know, the most popular YouTube guy, hundred million followers, but I have watched some of his stuff and it's really positive stuff. Like he's always helping people. He's always giving them money away to people or giving them free cars. So they don't use bad language. So I was like, sure, you can watch Mr. Beats. And then through that, you know, he became, he kind of knows about YouTube and subscribers and likes and all this kind of stuff. And then one day, I think it was yesterday, the day before he was like, dad, I want to be really popular when I'm older. And I was like, Whoa, slow down! I was like, "That's not why." It's like, "That's not why I'm doing what I'm doing." You know, that's not why I'm on social media, um, and that's not really the most important thing. Like, if I said the reason I do Rising Father and the reason why I'm doing podcasts is to try to help people, I said, "I don't honestly, honestly, Nathan, I don't care if I have 100 million subscribers tomorrow. I said, it'd be nice." I said, "But that's not the reason I'm doing it." You know, that, w- that was like a big red flag to me. Yeah, that was like, boop. I, he said that I need to guide this ship real quick because I don't want that. That's just the road to self conscious thinking, you know, looking inward and being like, oh, I'm not popular enough. I need to do what these other people are doing. You know, okay. that was like, man, I got to fix this real quick. Um, so, yeah, I talked to them about the same things about why I do what I do and technology use. Because yeah, it's such a slippery slope. If, if they see you just browsing all the time, I can't even remember last time I sat down and just browsed. I think it just makes me upset when I do. You know, when I when I sit down and just...
0: <laughs>
1: I honestly, like I'm, I would call myself kind of like a selfish Facebook user because when I go on social media, I go on, do what I have to do, and then I get off. You know, I'm not which is good and bad, you know, it's good for me mentally, but it's bad for the algorithm or for, you know, if I have 200 people that follow me and are always commenting and liking on my stuff, but I don't reciprocate, you know, it's bad for that. Um, but, you know, I like I'm I know I got to get back to Matt. I'm going to message him right now and then I'm going to get off. That's, that's kind of how I approach it. It might be a little in the social media world, selfish version of it, but it kind of keeps me a little bit more sane, just using it for a specific task
0: yeah yeah i'm with you on that it's it's definitely a challenge um there's there's a lot of benefits to using it but there's a lot of drawbacks as well and who you follow is definitely a big part so you know any any guy that's got his instagram page filled with models and um i don't know like less than desirable things so things that are consuming um, might be things about fight videos or something about like you know funny memes and all that kind of stuff it's like a vortex you get sucked into and so as soon as you open your thing and the algorithm knows that it goes if i want to get this person on here for as long as possible the first thing that needs to come up is an instagram model and then once you scroll through and he's had enough of that, then we need to give him some funny stuff, and then he'll stay around because he wants to continue to laugh. And that's how they get you. So I don't like it for those reasons. Um, yeah, and I like to be able to move a conversation somewhere else. So having like a telegram or a whatsapp or um even Facebook messenger is is better because you can mm-hmm. deactivate your Facebook account and still continue to have the messaging app and have access to all the same people. So, I kind of like that aspect of Facebook. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I like to be able to move a conversation. So if I connect with someone really well, I'd rather talk to them somewhere else so that I don't have to log in and run the gauntlet of, am I going to get drawn down another vortex just because I want to message someone? And how often do you do that and you get sucked straight into that vortex because our algorithm is so powerful that you go five or 10 minutes and you're like, oh, what did I even get on here for? Yeah, You got to try and think like, oh, that's right. I was messaging Chris back. Like, that's what I came on here to do. But yep. you just completely forget because you get sucked straight in. So yeah, I'm with you. I'm not a fan, but I'm a fan.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just like anything. It's you know, like alcohol. You can go have a drink. Like I, I drink whiskey. I'll go. You can either abuse it or use it to have a good time. Like I know if I'd have whiskey at a specific time of day, it's going to affect me positively or it's going to put me to sleep. You know, (laughs) like if if it's later in the night and I want to just kind of relax a little bit and chill out with my friends and have good conversations, I'll I'll have some whiskey. Um, Not enough. Right now it's like once every two months, which is not enough. But I know if I have it at a certain time of the day, it's just going to destroy me. But, you know, so it's a a powerful weapon. You got it. If you let it control you, then... It's gonna not be good for your life, so it's like everything. you have to have discipline with it.
0: I don't know what the culture like is like over in the states around alcohol. Um, I'm, I mean I know I see a lot and you sort of my understanding of it always based predominantly from movies. Okay, which is which is probably similar to you. If you have like your understanding of Australian culture would be from from videos or from movies or from something unless you've been here and experienced it or you know people and you're talking to people often that are from Australia Um, but the here alcohol is a massive part of the culture and I don't say that in a positive way Mm -hmm. because it's it's not until people get much older and even then there's still a lot of people that are um, mature adults like into their 40s that they don't know how to drink just to have a couple of drinks like lots of people when they drink they need to get they need to go and write themselves off.
2: Hmm.
0: Um and or it's always have too many. You know, it's like this, oh, I'll get you one, I'll get you one, I'll get you one. And it's like almost like a game or a bartering system where, you know, you've got to one up each other with how many beers you can give each other.
1: Is that like a nationwide thing, you think?
0: Uh f- yeah. I would I would say that it's pretty much everywhere. It's alcohol's a big thing. You know, sporting events and alcohol, um, underage drinking, things like that. Like I had my first drink when I was Probably 14 mm-hmm. um, and didn't stop until shit. I think the first time I intentionally decided to go sober was 2020, I think. Mm-hmm. And that was for a month. And that one month was a massive eye opener to me.
2: Mm.
0: It's like, oh, wow. Like, the amount of times that I want to just have a beer just because, or have a whiskey just because. And it's like, I didn't have control over it. Hmm. that's all that's how it came to me once i had a month away from it Mm -hmm. it's like oh wow i really wasn't in control of that like i didn't seem to have the ability to say no if someone offered me a drink it was okay and you know sometimes you'd have a couple too many when you're out somewhere and you'd take run the risk of driving and potentially being over the limit because it's someone offered it to you it's like you can't say no or you don't want to say no because you're having fun and you need alcohol to have fun and I found that just a real eye opener to me to be like, oh, wow. So, why is this so pre- like prevalent? And I wasn't raised in, in, a, in a house. My parents didn't drink. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember like, to, oh, it's just crystal clear, burned into my mind. My dad always saying to me, like, you don't need to have much to drink to have a good time. Like, you don't need to get blind to have a good time. Just you can take a six pack and that's it. And it's like, I'd be taking a bottle to every party I went to.
2: Mm.
0: and my sole intent was to get through that bottle for that night. And that was like, if I didn't, then it wasn't a good night. And I'm definitely not alone with that train of thought. There were definitely some kids that were much more responsible with their alcohol intake, but mm. for, them, like for most of them that went to parties either underage or even at age, there was little to no control and little to no respect for alcohol.
1: Yeah, I, did. I wasn't aware of that culturally in Australia. What is the drinking age?
0: Uh, Eighteen.
1: Eighteen. Yeah, it's twenty-one yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it it's as um, prevalent. Obviously, there's a lot of drinking that happens. There is a, I think it was more in the '90s. Like when I in the '90s, like every teen party movie, the underage drinking thing was really prevalent and pushed but i think now there's a more concerted effort to not show that like in our movies made for kids there's for good or bad a lot more control happening i think by people saying these are the messages we need to display like there you're not yeah. you're not going to see people smoking anymore almost never like before there was just always people smoking in movies now there's not a lot of, there's like almost no smoking in movies there's not a lot of underage drinking. And I think that has had a big part of it. Kids are still underage consuming here in the United States, obviously. But just from my perspective, from my one person perspective, it doesn't seem as prevalent as it used to be. But in terms of like guys, at least in my circle, um, and I do come across a lot of guys. I don't see it as such a big... Um, problem as maybe as what you see in Australia, but I could be completely wrong. It could just be the people that I run into, you know? Um, but I, I do think that there's United States is a very varied place. Like if you're in Texas or California or Rhode Island, you're in basically different countries. You know, it's, it, there's nothing alike. People don't talk the same. They don't think the same and they don't do the same things. Yeah. And I'm in I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm kind of like in the middle. There's, in terms of politically, it's like right and left here, more left than right. But um, yeah, people. I if you go to kind of if you go to like a general party or you know, I mean, if you go to a sporting event, yeah, lots of people are going to be drinking. But there's also this like vibe and feeling of this guy's drunk. He's an asshole. You know, yeah. it's like this guy's acting like an idiot. Like I think more people think that. Than think i want to be like that which i think is yeah. hasn't always been the case maybe over the last 10 years it's changed a little bit um but yeah so so that's in terms of the u.s i think that's that's what's happening from my what's one it, person perspective
0: what's it like from so do your because i know the sporting events you said was one place where people tend to to go and, and drink a bit yeah is there any um like publicity on the athletes themselves drinking and doing silly things while under the influence and all that no none they're pretty quiet for the most part
1: yeah i mean i've in terms of branded advertisements and endorsements and stuff like that like if lebron james is doing an advertisement for under armor yeah it's all going to be positive he's you know he's a saint he works hard And even like whenever they do their own stuff on their own social media accounts, it's never like, I'm a party guy. Like I, I don't see any, I don't see any, I'm a party guy. I'm a drinker being advertised. You know, that's, that's just not pushed. Is it the same for you?
0: Uh, There's a lot of, there's always been a, a pretty big advertising space for alcohol in our AFL, so our Australian Football League, mm-hmm. um, and something that's it's always been there and it's only gotten worse is they they have a thing called Mad Monday. Now I'm going to butcher. It. I'm not I'm not a particular footy fan, so any Australians that end up watching this are probably going to butcher me for getting this wrong. But <laughs> They do a Mad Monday. I believe it's at the end of the season where the footy teams go out and they often dress up silly. They go out, they hit the town, they get blind drunk, and It's 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 a big thing, like it's a big event for these teams to do this thing. And I don't know how many times I've seen some complete and utter stupid things happen while they're on these Mad Mondays. And it's like all the young kids are watching this, and this is advertised. It's all through the news. It's not advertised as like an advertisement an advertisement. Yeah, it all ends up in the news. Mm. All the kids see it and again who's who's running the the conversation around that because I don't certainly see it. I see the the thing come up saying, "Oh, this is what happened at Mad Monday," and it kind of just leaves it at that. there's no like follow up to it that much that anyone seems to see or that I certainly don't seem to see um to have that conversation to be like, "Well, this is why that's not okay
1: yeah i I don't see anything like that um. That's kind of surprising. So your professional football team, they every week they go out and basically get hammered.
0: I don't think it's every week. I think it's at the end of the, the football season. So I think okay. it's at, um, like once a year, one big event a year. That always seems to be when it pops up. Well, that has to make like a huge I like difference. I, said, I could get it wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that just that has to make a huge difference because those people are looked up to like gods by kids. Yeah. You know, I just think yeah. for me, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers around here. Mm-hmm. Every, you know, every high school kid who thinks they're athletic wants to be like the professional football player around here. And yeah. if they knew that, yeah, the thing they do is get hammered, then I bet you'd see a 100% increase the next year.
0: Yeah, I reckon you would.
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't, th- that has to be a huge, a huge difference. So I'm guessing that has a ripple effect and you're seeing a lot of these issues in guys, right?
0: In the young, younger kids, yeah. Younger kids definitely do. I mean, with so time back to sort of what we're talking about at the start, where parents are a lot more distant even though they're still there. Mm. Where where do sons and daughters look to when if their parents aren't going to show up and be a good role model or to give the love, the support, the care that they need? Where are they going to get that from? They've got to get it from somewhere. So they're going to get it from people around them. They're going to get it from online. They're going to get it from whatever they can see. And ultimately, what do kids want? They want attention. So they see, you know, and we all know the news outlets are really, really good at publicizing bad media. So things that are not positive all the time especially here like it's you see lots of negatives not lots of negative things come through so it's like kids are reading that they go subconsciously they get the idea that if they do that they'll get attention and that's a dangerous place for young people to be because the whole any attention's good attention is definitely not healthy you know it's not going to help you grow up and become a a strong grounded um You know, responsible adult. Mm
1: -hmm. Now you help guide men, right? Yeah. When did you start doing that?
0: Oh, I've been doing that. So, in a limited capacity, I've been doing it since around 2016. Mm -hmm. So, just look as far as conversations and just really starting to change the conversations that I have with people around me. And you know trying to get people to open their minds a little bit more to the things that how things are working and what things actually mean so it's like just more exploratory conversation um, but in a more formal capacity the last 12 months to we're probably going to say 12 to 18 months i've been helping people out a lot more directly as a men's coach
1: is that I'm mostly in australia or are you that worldwide you're doing that um
0: it's a mixed bag um i've actually had a lot of guys that i've helped over in the states mm-hmm. so there's some i've got a, a few guys up in canada um some guys around colorado um i'm probably getting all the pronunciations wrong but <laughs> no it's pretty good <laughs> i would butcher good.
1: australian names to tell you
0: that
2: <laughs>
0: uh so yeah a few guys sort of a bit all all over the place so um yeah i did my my coaching cert and then yeah, got in touch with a few guys and helped them through some different things. And now I'm sort of leaning towards doing that as much, well, the idea would be to ideally do it as a full-time job in the future. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm heavily working towards that because there's a big gap in and disconnect with men, um, particularly around, like and this is guys like myself, because I was this man uh, in 2016 when we had my second daughter I started trying to figure out how to be a good man prior to that. So that was actually the birth of my first daughter. So we got four kids. I've got a, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a seven-month-old. That's two girls, two boys in that order. So when my first daughter was born, I was 23, and that was a slap in the face to me. It was a real, real big wake-up call from a guy that drank a lot, um,
1: you said 23
0: when i was 23 yeah that's pretty early Um, yeah so yeah compared to a lot of families these days it's early
1: yeah we were 26
0: yeah yeah so i had my second i think 26 yeah i did 2016 that's when we had our second so um yeah that was just a a massive eye-opening thing to me it's like i'm responsible for this human being i don't get to just Take that responsibility lightly i could but what does that mean about me and how does that tell the world that i'm showing up in it so and i had no idea where to start i was like i don't know how to be a good man i don't know how to be a good father and the books if you got books on you know this is fatherhood it was it was not what i was looking for i wanted Mm -hmm. to know how to be a good man first And then I could teach my kids what a good man is. So that when my daughters grew up and became, you know, 18, 20 year olds and they're going looking, they're not going to go looking for a boy dressed up as a man. They're going to go looking for a man, someone who is uh, whole, who is grounded, who understands where they're going, what they want, how to get there and what they need. And they've got good open communication. So I didn't understand those parts at the time. That's my understanding of it now back then it was like i don't know where to go i don't know where to start and again the technology problems and the feedback loops so i I, by accident went down some rabbit holes that i wish i didn't go down and those rabbit holes led me to very much the victim mindset in my relationship and i started to twist that and to think that my wife was effectively out to get me that that Mm. everything that was going wrong and my happiness and all these things was because she wasn't doing something
1: do you find all these you mean like on social media the rabbit holes
0: yeah that was social media there's a
1: huge market out there of guys who are who think they're the victim and all women are the devil and oh my goodness they try to they try to infiltrate my community i'm like a a knight keeping them out man
0: they are out there yeah, so and they're still there and I absolutely agree. Well, I I was one of the unfortunates that got sucked into that for a short period of time mm-hmm. and that nearly cost me my entire family. And that was the the wake up for me was this isn't working, this isn't it. Like this can't be it. It can't be that for me to change and for me to grow and for me to find happiness and fulfillment in life that I have to lose my family in the process. Because that's where it was going. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I refuse to have that happen. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not just gonna see my kids every second week because that's the only option. It's like, that's never the only option. There's always more than one fucking option. Sorry, language. (laughs) I don't know if you've got language warnings, but um,
1: that's fine. I'm not not totally clear on the, uh, I think on most platforms it's fine. I think on YouTube it's fine too. Okay, I I swear to.
0: (laughs) That's <laughs> uh I've been pretty good this time. Uh sometimes I'm I'm dropping them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, I've lost my train of thought now with the sorry. Um no no, that was my bad. Um
1: you and your language.
0: Anyway, I was I was yeah, I was trying to find my way out of this victim mindset, and that's when I started to find work that was a lot more balanced and that made sense to me because i grew up very much in a like a primal masculinity space i boxed i drank i was around rough dudes um for for a lot of my youth and you know i was around drugs a lot in my youth so i grew up thinking that that's what was required to be a man my role models were boys in adult clothing and they were you know dealers and they were guys that drive that drove drunk and would smoke weed while driving and all these things. And so it's like, that was what I had to, to role model myself off. Um, so once I realized that you can actually balance that with the divine or more of the feminine, and you can become more open, you can have emotions, you can hold space for other people, you can ground yourself, you can do all these things that it scared the hell out of me, but it made so much sense. You know, it's the yin and the yang. There's where there's good, there's dark. Where there's positive, there's negative. Where there's uh, masculine, there must be feminine. And so I lent into that work a fair bit to, I was like, well, I've got nothing to lose by trying this. I'm already about to lose everything. So I've got to try something. And working through that was probably one of the most challenging couple of years of my life. Of leaning into things that I had just shoved so far down that I never wanted to go near. Mm-hmm. And to have conversations with my partner that I never, ever wanted to have. You know, it's the thought of doing so scared the crap out of me. I never wanted to do it. And to go from that space of like just sheer anxiety of even thinking about having those conversations to confidently having those conversations weekly is a massive shift in my relationship an absolute massive shift. So one of the biggest complaints that I hear from women in where their man sh- fails to show up in their life is emotional control and emotional intelligence. And it's holding space for their, their partner's emotions um, because the feminine tends to be chaotic, whereas the masculine tends to be structured and grounded. So those two things kind of balance each other out but not when we're both chaos. If we're both chaos, then it's only ever gonna end badly, right? If, if my wife starts yelling at me and I start yelling back, what happens? We both just start to, the, the energy continues to increase. But if she can yell at me and I can roll, roll with it going, okay, this isn't actually what she's mad about. So now it's my job to figure out what she's actually mad about and see what that is and see what need of hers hasn't been met and whether that's a responsibility of mine to meet or whether that's a responsibility of her to meet and what's that next conversation going to look like. And then you're you're taking the chaos and you're going to look at it and analyze it. You're going to, anal- you're going to put some structure around it and be like, okay, I can see what's going on here. Once you've calmed down, which I know she will, she will come back. Odds are she'll apologize for the blow up. And then the contacts happened again. So we can talk and I can say, hey, look, this is i noticed this and this was not like you we don't talk to each other like that here's what i picked out of it what do you think and just start that conversation then all of a sudden she's oh i've been seen i've been heard and he actually understands and it takes time and and practice to to get used to having that that kind of a thing when i used to argue all the time I was like, I thought I had to win. If my wife wanted to argue with me about something, I thought I had to beat her. And that was the that was the recipe for lasting happiness was that I had to be right. And it's not. It's not. It's learning how to navigate those challenges and to deal with the conflict and then to under, just strive to understand your partner at a deeper level through that is where the growth really happens. Yes,
1: lots of great wisdom in there. Do you feel like most of your coaching and helping guys ends up in the relationship space with their partners or girlfriends? Is that where the majority of it happens? Because there's, you know, there's a couple, I'm guessing you address a lot of different things with conversations with men, you know, just me talking to guys, there's a million different issues guys could have and ways for them to grow. And, the relation you know the working on the relationship is one of them do you feel like that's right now where a lot of your attention is going
0: it's a combination i think the relationship problems show up in amongst everything else so everything Mm -hmm. kind of intertwines and interweaves the relationship stuff relationship stuff happens as a matter of doing the other work so if you set out to try and um, you know, fix your relationship and that is your ultimate end goal and you're not looking to change anything about you and what you do and understand yourself deeper, your relationship's never going to change because you're, by doing that, saying I need to fix our relationship, but I don't need to change. Well, what are you doing? You're saying, you're the problem. I'm going to fix you. You can't fix anyone else. The only person you can fix is yourself. You're the only person that can change your mind and can change your actions and who can make the decisions differently in your life. That's it, period. I this think- that a, ultimate... that... Go ahead.
2: Okay. No, no.
0: Continue. What was your question?
1: Well, I think that what you're saying affects many, many different parts of life. Like Absolutely. if you say, I want to build a big business. It's like, mm-hmm. if that's your goal, that's fine. But what are you doing right now to build it? like who, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, are you the kind of person that can build a big business or that can be successful? And if you're not, if you don't have successful habits and it's not going to happen, or I want to be fit. Like the goal of being fit is great to have, but if you are not the kind of person, if you're not doing the daily actions that get you there, then you're not going to get there. It's like having the goal and wanting the external thing is different than monitoring your internal self. Is that what you're seeing?
0: Yes, absolutely. And Normally, the goals we set or the things that we really want, if you dive into those and you analyze those, you can start to see patterns across your life where, though, again, where those things intertwine in other areas of your life. It's like you may want to be a successful business owner who's a, you know, or the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. It's like, well, why do you want that? What is it about that that you actually want? Is it the money? Is it validation? Is it that you want a sense of importance? Is it that you've got, that gives you a sense of self-worth that you, you don't have now? It's like all these things that you're going looking for, you currently have access to anyway. But you're projecting this thing that if it's too big, you're never going to take steps in that direction anyway. So then you're always going to be not accessing those things within yourself because it's too hard to get to. So when you sort of reverse engineer from goals, and I'm not saying don't set goals. I'm a big, big, big fan of setting goals. But make sure you can add some structure to it and make sure you understand what it is you're actually trying to achieve by doing it. And what's the value? There needs to be some value that's added back into your life or back into your family for that goal to be a worthy goal, right? If you're really overweight and you're saying, well, I want to be really fit, well, that's a good goal. And what's the value? The value is not necessarily going to be, it's going to give me a sense of self-worth or anything. That's going to be an effect of it, but it's going to make you feel happier. It's going to help your kids. It's going to build your kids into better habits. It's going to let your kids see you overcome adversity and challenge and difficulties. And that is a ton of value. So there's a lot of good things that can come from, from having big goals. But it's the, it's the goals that we don't, look to understand at a deeper level they're the ones that can get us caught out where we go rabbit hole tunnel vision we're going straight down there and we're not looking at anything else around us so that when we get there we turn around we're like oh look we made it and there's no one there with you because you've left them all behind because and you've left a trail of destruction the whole way there because you just went i'm going to go there because i need that that you didn't take the moment to try and understand it.
1: Have you read um, James Clear Atomic Habits? Yes, a great book. I, you know that. Yes, every guy should read that book because it's it's what we're talking about. It's like, it's great to have goals, but if you're not doing the things to get there, it doesn't matter. And that's something that you know I had to, I had to work on myself. It's you know you have all these huge goals and things you want to do, but are you? What do you do today? Did you do the ten things you have to do to get it? Like, Hey, you want to, you want a six pack. That's great. But you just finished drinking a uh, Coke. So, so you don't want a six pack. It's like, I don't, I don't care what you write down on your dream pillow. If you're not doing the things that you're doing, it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, that's right. Dreams will always be just dreams. If there's no action.
1: Yeah. You got it. You're going to have to actually do the thing. Mm. Um where in Australia, Not you know, I don't need a specific spot, but I watched, I have a great knowledge of Australia because I watched the hotel show in Australia. It's like instant hotel as we have on Netflix. It's about, it's like Australian instant hotel. I'm just kidding. But like, where, where about in Australia do you live? Is it like a, is a mountainous, deserty or
2: so Sydney? I'm, I know a couple
1: of spots.
0: I'm relatively coastal. I'm down in Victoria. Um, so pretty, uh, so South, South of us is, um, like coastal forest, which is mm-hmm. quite mountainous, um, but still relatively low elevation. Um, the other side of Victoria on like the Eastern side, that's all of our Alpine country. So there's a lot of, like, there's a couple of ski resorts and stuff over that side. Um, I'm about half an hour, 45 minutes. I'm, I'm sort of more rural um where i am it's like a lot more farmland and stuff yeah um, but i'm about half an hour 45 minutes from the beach so which is nice beautiful coastal towns
1: oh, that's not bad you guys got a lot of sharks though right that's what that's what i hear uh, in yeah. america that there's just a yeah. sharks and tarantulas everywhere
0: <laughs> yeah yeah everything wants to kill you here yeah <laughs> the drop bears and everything
1: that's my only gripe about going to australia i do want to go sometime you know do my own little walkabout, which is nothing we hear but um yeah. You know, just I just hear like every bug is the is the top ten most poisonous bug in the country. Every snake is gonna poison you and kill you, and every every animal could rip your leg off.
0: <laughs> we've got a lot, yeah. We do, we do have a lot, but it's yeah, look, lots of spiders. Yeah, we've got lots of snakes. Um, I've been here for thirty-two years, and I reckon I could count on both hands the amount of times I've actually seen a snake oh really yeah like they're they're there yeah they're definitely there um maybe it's just been where we live where i haven't seen that many i know certainly some places people see them every year they'll see a handful Mm -hmm. um and they're a protected species so you you can't do much about them
1: man i I would think everyone over there is just dripping with animals from what we hear over here
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not that bad um definitely lots of spiders yeah lots of spiders yeah snakes lots of different types of snakes um but it's we don't have and i think it's maybe a thing that the australians think about the americans like we america seems scary to a lot of australians because you guys have got bears and mountain lions and uh all these things And it's like well we don't have any of that yeah like we don't have any big natural natural predators like we've got saltwater crocodiles which <laughs> those things are not those good things are scary as hell but um you know, it's like not much different to the alligators you guys have. If you don't go in the water where they are and you're careful, if you're walking around their habitat, that's how you're going to be fine.
1: Um, and do most of the guys that you're working with, you see in Australia yeah. are most of them rural or city?
0: Most of the guys that I see.
1: Yeah. Like the people you work with, um, the people you, in your circle, in your men's work, are they typically because I see a big difference between um, people that grow up in the country and people that grow up in an urban environment. Are you do you notice any of that? Which is where I'm leading.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. If where I live, so I'm. Although I'm rural, because we're still very, very close to major towns, mm-hmm. we're not. We're not like the really remote rural. Um, so people that grow up here would be not much different than people that grow up in the nearest big towns um, apart from the fact they've grown up with a bit more space and, you know, animals and things like that. So they tend to be operating at, a, I don't know, I'm going to say like a, a bit of a lower anxiety threshold than people that live in the cities, because mm-hmm. you just have a bit more space to breathe, a bit more space to relax and you've got more space that's yours. Um, but yeah, I, I work with people that, that live in Melbourne, in the cbd and i don't know how they do it like i hated living in a small house estate we live on an acre now um, but before that we're on a tiny little house block and i couldn't stand that let alone people that live in townhouses and stuff right in the city or live in apartment complexes and things like that it's that that blows my mind how people like that some people love it i'm like oh i couldn't do that yeah i've been thinking about
1: that sorry i've been thinking about that a lot recently just different strategies to manage your stress and things working for different people. Cause I've been talking to a lot of the guys in my community, but people are all over the world. And there is a difference between people who live in the city and people who live in rural, more rural areas, you know, and I don't know Australia very well in terms of like the geography and everything, but my interpretation is that it's, there's a lot of rural areas Um, and a lot of the people that have a lot of stress come from more chaotic environments and more urban environments. And, you know, how people deal with that stress, I think affects every part of their life. Like, do you, do you know yourself? Well, do you know that working out helps you? Do you know that journaling helps you? Like I love to journal, right? It keeps my thoughts in, in check. Um, but are there things that you recommend guys do to kind of lower their anxiety, lower their stress and get themselves back on track?
0: the things that I do is, is pretty much what you said. I, I work out when I can. I, I do jujitsu as well. Um, awesome. so I like to roll and, you know, test myself against other men. I think that's an important thing. It builds a lot of camaraderie. It definitely gets a lot of energy out and you feel amazing afterwards. Um, as far as reducing overall, sort of like life anxiety and overwhelm. The best things I've ever found for me is anything that's a grounding practice. So journaling and like, yeah, journaling, diary keeping, whatever you choose to call it, it's take whatever is in here and get it out to somewhere else. So I don't care whether it's a voice note, whether you want to write it down. I prefer to write, you know, I've just got some like A4 you know spiral bound notebooks like school books almost and i just scribble in that every single day whatever comes up and you'd be amazed at how much of a difference it makes to your day absolutely all that noise and the chatter and everything the to-do list that we don't have written down anywhere it's all just wearing around in here and all these thoughts and you just take that and you just start writing it down and then all the important stuff you can go through and you can be like, all right cool there's now, now it's there i don't have to worry about it for the rest of the day. I come back to it um if you can combine that with a meditation practice and i don't i don't like that. a lot of these terms i don't actually like because i feel like a lot of dudes like me will go you're telling me to be a meditator and to journal or to keep a diary it's like no man i'm not telling you to do that i'm
1: telling yeah, you don't say diary
0: yeah, like take it out of here and put it on paper because then you don't have to worry about it. Like that clears your mind. Sit down, close your eyes and just sit still and don't do anything. That's what I mean by meditate. That's enough. It doesn't have to be sitting there with your legs crossed in a you know, nice straight posture and doing arm noises. It doesn't have to be that. If you want to do it, unreal, go ahead. It doesn't need to be. That's not what I do. I just like to sit quietly. I'll close my eyes and I'll just do like some triangle breathing or some box breathing or something that gets me out of my head for a while. And it's like five or 10 minutes every day. And again, you'd be amazed at how much subconscious thought you have that as soon as you switch off all external input, just starts to come to the surface. If you can meditate every day, 10 minutes, every day for a month, you'll get to a point where you're like, Oh wow, I can actually hear myself think again. And you'll just notice that when these little thoughts come up throughout the day, that normally you'd be like, Oh, I need to try and remember to do that. You'd be like, no, I don't need to worry about that. That's the yeah, priority right now.
1: I journal. Um, and I, I, I take immense benefit from that. Um, I try to meditate, but I'm not good at it right now. And I, uh, I try to do when I, I have a sauna that in my backyard that I try to use almost every day. So I try to, you know, I, I'm in there without a phone or anything by myself, sweating my butt off. So I, I try to think, hey, this would be a good time to practice meditation, but then but then I'm in so much pain, I can't do it. So, you know, I, I wish I was yeah. good at meditation, but that's something right. that I need to work at.
0: I would argue that you kind of are. In the sauna? Right now, jujitsu. Okay. So meditation to me can mean a couple of, when, it's not only just to me, it's to lots of people. Meditation looks different to lots of different people. Some people meditate and do a guided meditation where someone talks you through things. Yeah, That's a type of meditation. Some people do what I do and they sit there quietly. As thoughts come up, they take a deep breath and they just release that thought and let it go. And that clears the mind. That's great. Some people meditate and they sit there and they will pick something that they want to think at depth about. And that's what they'll dive into. And they meditate on a particular thing. And they'll just see what thoughts come up around a certain thing. Now, the way I look at it is, you remove all external input right? what happens when we roll is there is not a single thing in your life going through your mind apart from the fact that that guy's trying to choke you
2: yeah no that's like all i can
0: (laughs) think about is that like all my life problems everything else disappears and how good do you feel afterwards
1: yeah it's i mean it's the best feeling in the world
0: so meditation gives you some of that, some of that benefit without the physical exertion and the physical exhaustion.
1: Yeah. I got jujitsu right after this. I, both my kids do it too. Um, but yeah, so the, I do jujitsu, I don't know, four times a week, but I, I talked about this earlier, not not in this podcast, but on a different one. I had shoulder surgery. I was off for six months or eight months really. And I remember my first roll back, I just, I was like, oh my God, I'm a different person. You know, all the stresses and anxieties I had of that week were just gone immediately. Like you said, when you've got some 200, we have this new guy joined our gym. He's like a 290 pound college wrestler, giant um, crushing everyone. You know, he's a, he's a new white belt, but no one can submit him. He's just, you know, he looks like he can squat 700 pounds. So when that guy gets on top of you, like you're not thinking about an argument you had with a coworker last week because you just feel this crushing weight, pushing up towards your head and you can feel your consciousness leaving you as he's trying to choke you and you're just, but here's the thing though, weird, but I enjoy it. It's not because there's no other spot in my life where I'm getting that kind of experience. You know, whenever you're, it's that intense, because when that happens to you and it's over, it's just like, ah, you know, it's like running. It's like anything else. It just feels so good afterwards. So Yeah right it kind of is it's like a different kind it's an active meditation i guess
2: yeah
0: yeah i i love it boxing was much the same for me not the training but mm-hmm. when i boxed when you'd spar yeah um, it was the same like you just nothing else you could hear you know three minutes would just fly past yeah you, you couldn't think of anything it's like all i gotta do is just duck and weave
1: mm-hmm. and try and survive yeah. At some point, I think I want to get into more striking. I want to get, I'm a blue belt now, jujitsu, but at some point I want to do get into striking, whether it's boxing or something else. Cause right now my whole, you know, when you're walking downtown, you see random people like, Oh, what would happen? You know, how would I use my defense skills? If this guy just randomly attacked me yeah. or, you know, what would I do? How would I push my family over here? Would I do like a double leg takedown? Would I try a trip? And then, so doing jujitsu is great you got the people real close to you, but then I also feel like, man, I, I need to be able to, to strike a little bit better. So at some point, a couple of years from now, I might add that in if I have time to do it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely recommend it. I mean, I started in, in boxing and look, it's definitely the preference to stay on your feet where you can, because if you're on your feet, you can run yeah as soon as you get the moment you can run and then you're away from it you don't have to you're not going to get hurt you're not going to hurt anyone else it's like you're not going to hit someone and have them fall and crack their head and end up in a hospital or as a you know on life support or dead yeah you've got to be mindful of that kind of stuff so and you these days it's so many it's you're never really just if you're out especially you're never just going to fight with one person very rarely Mm -hmm. it's normally going to be him and a mate or him and a couple of mates if you're out on the town it's going to be that so it's like you go to the ground with that, you're just going to get the shit kicked out of you
1: yeah yeah it doesn't matter if you're choking the guy in front of you if you have his friend's kicking you in the head
0: that's right so Mm -hmm. you, you need to you should have a good basis in in stand up as well and know how to defend yourself on the stand up and that's pulled me out of trouble quite a few times just knowing how to defend myself um while standing up because truth be told there's a lot of people out there that don't know the first thing about how to throw a punch properly and it does not take much to defend them if you know the punches are coming yeah
1: yeah for sure and i think a lot of guys if they would just you know they wouldn't need a lot of therapies or medications if they joined a boxing gym or if they joined jujitsu like a lot in terms of um you know if their issue is they've got all this mental noise and they've got all this anxiety and stress of work and they need an outlet for it. If they could just do one hour of boxing a day, you know, I think that would solve a lot of their problems.
0: Oh, I think it definitely helps. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu, boxing, some type of a, a physical sport that's going to leave you very drained at the end. Yeah. Um, does really good things for you mentally physically you know your mental fortitude and strength gets a lot better because of that because you can you're doing things that a lot of people can't do or a lot of people won't do
1: absolutely all right man well let's end with one last question and that is if there's one thing that you see guys really need in the people you work with and the culture and viewing social media that is holding them back from chasing their dreams? Like what, if you're a middle-aged guy, you're working an office job, you're kind of miserable. You're having issues at home. You scroll social media all day. What is the one thing guys need to hear that maybe they're missing to just help them be a little bit better the next day? Like, what's just just give me one piece of advice that you could give a guy that would say, Hey, let me, let me try that tomorrow and tomorrow will be a better day.
0: I want to say heaps of things. Just, I know.
1: I wait. Hardest question to the, so when you're just about to go to bed and tired.
0: <laughs> the thing, the <laughs> thing that is really up for me at the moment is living from a place of like living your life through a value system and a vision. Okay. So that would be my challenge to most dudes: is look at your life and see what values you're actually holding yourself to and your family too um and if you don't know what your top five values are you should so go and look it up and if you don't know how to find out what your top values are so you can live your life through that shoot me a message and i'll send you a thing and you can work it out Um, because once you start once you understand what your what you value then you can see where what you're doing is out of alignment, and you can stop doing those things, and that is going to improve your life, absolutely. Well said. Then dive into you, then dive into your vision, and that's where you want to go.
1: Where can people find you? What do you want them to know before we sign off here?
0: Uh, so my main social channel at the moment is through Instagram, uh, and that's Father of the Tribe AU with underscores between each word.
1: Perfect. And we will, in the description, um, list that and anything else you want people to know. So I'll connect with you about that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. It's been a pleasure. Hour and 12 minutes. That was great. I'm I'm really glad we reached out and were able to do this.
0: That was amazing. Thanks for having me on, Chris.